it's good to be with you today on Father's Day 2022. Today's sermon is Real Children Need Real Fathers. Real children need real fathers. What's wrong with this scene? Paul Tripp asked the question, what's wrong with this scene? Mom is in the kitchen, desperately, frantically stressed out preparing a dinner for a family of six that will be coming to the house, to the home, in just a little more than an hour. And she's behind. And she's freaking out. Mom is freaking out. You know, she's got to prepare the dinner. Uh, the house is still a little bit of a mess. Uh, and uh, she's worried that she is just not ready at all. Meanwhile, over in the family room, she can see them through the little aperture, you know, from the kitchen area out to the family room. Her three children are actively engaged with their own digital activities. Uh, the elementary school children are playing bowling on a Wii. And um, uh, the uh, middle schooler is involved in part with the, the Wii bowling, but also is on her smartphone, you know, keeping up with the latest social media post, etc. Now, you could say there's nothing wrong with this scene. Mom is fortunately not being heavily distracted by her children. They're not killing each other. They're not setting the house on fire. They've committed no, you know, violation of any of the Ten Commandments, right? And they're, they're just preoccupying themselves. That's what we do with children nowadays in the modern area. That's, that's how we're supposed to parent children in the modern era, right? We stick a device or screen in front of them and they preoccupy themselves while we preoccupy ourselves with what we're doing. That's good parenting, right? Uh, maybe not quite. Okay, so what's wrong with this scene, Tripp asked. Well, he says on closer examination, what is being revealed in the lives of these children is a very important lack of character. Lack of character. Each of these children, even the seven-year-old, you know, doing the wee bowling, has the mental capacity and the physical capacity to go to his mom or her mom and, and ask, what can I do to help? But, but none of the children, the elementary school children, the, the middle schooler is not even, it's not even on their radar to think and to realize mom's stressed out, mom's struggling. I should go help her. I love mom. I wanna help out mom. What can I do? Her, helping her is more important than entertaining myself. It's an issue of character, of course, of empathy, but, it, but it's not even on their radar. So as Paul Tripp points out in his parenting book, if you've come to me in the last several years, you know this is one of the books I've recommended to you. If you ask, well, give me a good Christian parenting book, this is one of my top half dozen that I recommend. You know, the 14 gospel principles of parenting. Tripp says, you wouldn't want such an uncaring person as your future friend, and you definitely wouldn't want such an uncaring person as your own child's future co-worker, or God forbid, the spouse, you know, your future son-in-law or daughter-in-law, somebody like this, but this is the way they're being raised. This is the way they're being trained. 
what is being revealed about these children's hearts may well bring heartache, dysfunction, and conflict in their future workplace, school, family, and community. See, what Paul Tripp highlights here is that it's not enough to target direct disobedience. In other words, okay, here's the Ten Commandments. Just make sure you don't violate any of these and we're good to go. You're a fully mature adult. No, not quite. And definitely not a fully mature person of faith. In, in chapter 10, if, you, if you've read the book, you know I'm, I'm circling around the character chapter, chapter 10. Tripp says it's not enough to target direct disobedience as a parent to your children. You must also have an eye to their character development. And so his principle for chapter 10 is not all of the wrong your children do is direct rebellion to authority. Not all the wrong they do is direct rebellion to authority. Much of the wrong is the result of a lack of character. Much of the wrong they do is the result of a lack of character. Because real children need real fathers. Now, by now, I hope with this introduction, you're, you're catching the fact that I'm, I'm packing the terms that I'm using here. Real children. In other words, not sentimentalized little angels that we distract with screens and think are good and will fight any teacher to the, to the death who ever even implies that there's anything wrong with our child that needs correction real children. If you don't have a real child or don't want a real child, this sermon's not going to apply to you, okay? okay? If your child has never done anything wrong, is not of a fallible sinner in need of God's saving grace, you don't need to hear this sermon. But, but if you're willing to acknowledge you're going to be dealing with real children, okay, that's part one, need real fathers, not make-believe fathers, not the way the 21st century frames out fathers in our current, you know, political correctness. I'm talking about real biblical fathers are needed for real children. This is God's plan. So let's turn to some scripture on this. I'm going to frame the central scripture, which is Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 11, with a couple of single verses. To begin with, Jeremiah chapter 31, verse one of the great prophetic passages of the Old Testament, which matches out with some of the message of Isaiah the prophet. Okay? Isaiah 31, verse 3. The Lord appeared to him from far away. Here's what the Lord says to his people Israel. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. Now, over to the book of Hebrews, the letter, the epistle of Hebrews. Picking up in the midst of a larger conversation, I'll come back to what's happening with this passage of Scripture a little bit today. But just picking up at verse 5. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? And now the writer of the Hebrews is going to go back and quote from Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 to 12. Okay? 
My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline, for training, that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, in other words, in which all people of faith, people who belong to God, have all been disciplined by God, if you're left without it, what does that mean? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. If God's not disciplining you right now, you don't belong to God. You're not actually a child of God. Let's keep going. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? That's talking about God now, God the Father, and live. For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them, but he, that is God the Father, disciplines us for our good, so that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. That's from God the Father. And then over to God the Son, Jesus, as he addresses his bride, as he addresses the church and people who are members of his church. Just one verse. We've referred to this verse in a couple other recent sermons. But back over to Revelation chapter 3, verse 19. God... The Son, Jesus, is speaking to the church at Laodicea. Jesus says this, Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Did you hear that? That's Jesus now. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Friends, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. So, what is God's word saying? Well, I want to begin with this second part of an introduction. You can see the quote from Paul Tripp on your sermon notes, and these are posted online if you're watching the broadcast, or you can also refer to these in the printed bulletin. The quote from Paul Tripp on his principle about character-based character-oriented parenting. But, but secondly, you see the quote that I've given you from one of the great Calvinist biblical theologians of the last several centuries, a major figure in biblical theology in the early 20th century, Gerhardus Vos. Vos taught at Princeton Seminary for about three decades, leading through the 1930s, was there teaching within New Testament. Machen was teaching there, you know, at Princeton Seminary before. Uh, leading to form Westminster Seminary. What does Vos say that God is saying through Jeremiah chapter 31? Here's the takeaway from Vos. 
there is never a point at which God will stop loving you because he never began. I've given you that in the notes because that takes a little bit of reflection, doesn't it? What is Vos saying? There was never a point at which God, for instance, said, okay, there's Martin. I guess he's pretty good. I guess I'll go ahead and love him. Because there was never a time when that happened because is God bound in time? No. When did God love me? Forever. At what point did God start loving me? That doesn't apply, Vos is saying. <laughs> there was never a starting point, and therefore, on the other side of this, there will never be a terminus. Isn't that awesome? That's the gospel. That's the gospel of God's love. God does not like start loving at a given point. God himself is love. As the Apostle John says in 1 John, God is eternal. His love is eternal. His love is eternal. The reason, Vos says, that God will never stop loving you is he never began. He always forever loves. And we remember that, and parents, and definitely fathers, need to remember that. Because it makes all the difference in the world when we start talking about training our children and helping them mature in the faith, that they understand that undergirding all this, the foundation of all of this, is an abiding and everlasting love for them in God through Jesus Christ, and that we, we are pale reflections, but that we are seeking to be vessels of God's love as we train and discipline and help direct into spiritual maturity our children. In moments of discipline, Dad, how will you point your child to God's everlasting love and to a living relationship with Jesus? This is the question, this is the prayer you need to ask. See, your discipline is not about your predilections, and it definitely better not be about your anger or your emotions. It needs to be subjected to the Father of spirits, God himself, and asking for real discernment and inspiration, how can I help my child grow toward you and to grow in the assurance of your everlasting love? That there's never a point at which God started loving that child, and there's never a point at which God will stop loving that child because God's love is everlasting, just as God himself is everlasting. Now, to apply this, number one, you can track this with the notes as well. We've got five movements here. Real children need direction in the way of godly gospel character. We've already introduced this. This is a theme that Paul Tripp is making in chapter 10 of his book on gospel-based parenting. And his point is, it's, it's not enough for dads, for parents, to target direct disobedience. That's insufficient, okay? That's one dimension of parenting, but it's, it's, I can't sit there and say, okay, well, my child isn't committing murder and he's not stealing, okay? So therefore, I'm pretty much finished with parenting, right? He's a Christian. No, not quite, <laughs> not quite. Uh, as a parent and as a dad, you must also have an eye toward the character 
and the soul development, I would add this to Trip, to the soul development of your child. See, rebellion and disobedience is doing what is wrong, and we definitely don't want our children doing what is wrong, but what's the other side of that coin? Doing what is right. And that's a matter of character and soul development. That's a matter of actually following Jesus. We're, we're teaching our child not simply to avoid the devil, but actually to live with Jesus, okay? <laughs> Different level of conversation here. Character is having heart and soul awakened and tuned towards the right way, which is to go with Jesus, following Jesus and doing what is right. Uh, Paul Tripp says, your children don't so much need character management even as they need worship realignment. Because the question is, what's going on in their heart and soul? If their God is their pleasure, if their God is satisfying themselves with the latest app or activity on this or some other screen, if their God is infusing their body with enough caffeine or later maybe drugs or alcohol to catch, you know, the inspiration of the substance, that's a God. That's not the real God. Who is your child's God? Whom are they worshiping? Are you teaching your child to worship their own pleasure and entertainment? That's boring, Dad. I don't want to do that. Okay, okay, let's find out something that you like. That's not real fathering. That's compromise to the nth degree, to the, let's put it this way, to the hellish degree. So Paul Tripp focuses on the fact that uh, in Romans chapter 1, God's word through the Apostle Paul highlights the fact that anyone who is not in alignment with God is in fact worshiping the creature rather than the creator, okay? And the creature can be anything that we create, right? Or anything that happens here on earth. Anything that's earthly, even little religious idols, it's a worship issue. And, and, and some of that applies to literal worship. But my children just kind of aren't that interested in worship. I mean, it's boring. Yeah, I mean, coming before God, being, you know, before the awesome creator of the universe is boring. Okay, maybe, Dad, you need to readdress spiritually where your child is headed. Number two, godly discipline is positive. Loving fathers positively discipline children. So here's the newsflash. Discipline is not a negative word. And a lot of times you hear discipline and people immediately think about belts and, you know, beatings and all this kind of stuff. That's not right. Discipline is a good word in the Bible. Okay. Dis what, what do we call followers of Jesus? They are called what? Disciples. They have a path and a way and a realm in which they go that follows boundaries and direction and heads in the way of Jesus. That, that is a way of life. Jesus teaches everybody who believes in him to be a disciple who follows a way of life. There are things you do positively that are great, and there are things that you definitely don't do. 
And all of it revolves around a center of love, loving God and loving our neighbor and reaching out in God's love. So in the, in the, in, in the letter to the Hebrews in chapter 12, um, let me remind you of the context. We are, um, our children are studying this, our youth are studying this in Sunday school. Um, you've gone through the, the so-called Old Testament Hall of Fame summary, you know, in, in, in chapter 11 of Hebrews, and you get to chapter 12, you turn the page, and it, it says this, that, that we are supposed to um, be prepared to put aside, put aside, lay aside every weight and the sin, sin that clings so closely to us and to run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy or because of the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and who finished the race completely, purely, and so therefore is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And so then the, the, the letter to Hebrews then goes on and says, look, I know as Christians it's hard to be a Christian in this world. Those Christians were facing a lot of persecution, and also Jesus wasn't coming back right away. And some of those who were from Jewish background, which, you know, the central audience of this letter, they're saying like, well, it was a lot easier and a lot more acceptable culturally to be a Jew than to be this messianic sect group. And Jesus hadn't come back yet, and we're starting to get persecuted. And by the way, some of us are dying, and some of us get cancer, or some of us get diseases anyway, just like regular people in the world. We don't get any special benefit out of being a Christian. Why should we still be a Christian? And Hebrews says, look, you have not endured to the point of death, and even if you do, remember Jesus, right? You're following him. Suffering is consistent, not inconsistent, suffering is consistent with sonship. Challenges in your childhood as a Christian growing up to the Lord is consistent with being a Christian. And in fact, you need to reverse your kind of common sense understanding it's good. It means God loves you and is shepherding you when he takes you through challenges so that you can mature in your faith. Remember Jesus? You're supposed to keep your eyes on him, the one who went to the cross for your salvation. To follow Jesus is the way of the cross and perfection through Christ and his grace for you. And so then the letter of the Hebrews goes into this whole passage that's really interesting. The term, I've already given you a little bit on discipline, but let me, let me dig in a little bit more. The term for that's translated discipline here in the New Testament from, from Hebrews is actually, the noun is paideia, the verb is paiduo, and you get a lot of this language going on in Hebrews 12, five through 11. And this is the term that means overall education in the Greco-Roman world, okay? There's another term that you get to that's highlighted in verse 11 comes from the gymnazo, 
which is like it, for the, in the Greco-Roman world, the way you trained young people and definitely young boys is you trained them physically and mentally to grow up to be men. And the gymnasium was the place where they were trained physically and mentally and taught to be a man. And by analogy, what the writer of the letter to the Hebrews is saying is growing up as a Christian is supposed to be like this. It's a whole full-orbed way of life, a way of education, a way of understanding, a way of maturing. And so that's the analogy that's being used. In other words, somebody who has not trained mentally and physically to run a marathon is going to look pretty pitiful when the marathon starts, right? And so this is reminding us, look, look, keep your eyes on Jesus and run with endurance the race, you know, and be trained for the race that is set before you. The other analogy that you get from that verse 11 that's interesting is the crop analogy, right? Because I know it's painful right now, but there will be a harvest of the fruit of righteousness, the Bible says. What's that talking about? Well, if I'm a field and you come and plow me, if I can feel things, I might say, why are you picking on me? I don't wanna be plowed. I just kinda of like sitting out here in the sun, right? And then all of a sudden you start killing weeds in me or pulling weeds out of me. And I'm like, this, this hurts, this is painful, this is disruptive. Just let me go over here and be a weed patch. It was a lot easier when I was a weed patch. You're plowing me, you're pulling weeds. This is, this is hard, I don't like this. There must not be a God if the weeds are being pulled out of me. What God's word says is, hang with it, Christian. This is a process that leads to a harvest of righteousness. So that's the language that's being used here. All of this, in other words, confirms, the Bible is telling us, God's fatherly love. If it's not happening, then you're a patch of land God doesn't care about. <laughs> if it's not happening, you're a child who's not in on the training. And that means you are definitely headed in the wrong direction. So, first of all, discipline has to do with establishing clear and loving boundaries, fathers, direction for your children, and helping them develop the way of God and the character that they need to follow Jesus. And then secondly, even the punishment dimension of discipline is positive if it leads them to repentance and right direction. If it's about your emotions, this is not positive. If it's about God, it's positive. Helping them walk the right way. So what do we do when we discipline? Well, we always ask God first, okay? A father who is not on his knees in humility before God is not somebody who is in the right place to discipline his own children. If you're not on your knees before the father in repentance yourself, you got a problem, dad. That's the beginning and the foundation. Repentance before God yourself is the foundation for you to be able to discipline and direct your, and shepherd your child. So repentance, yours and theirs as you father. Uh, repentant toward the Lord, but in that, don't say, well, we're all sinners. I can't say anything to my children. No, 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 no. When you are repentant before the Lord, by his grace and by his power, he leads you to be active in shepherding and leading your child. So number three, real fathers let their 
real children fail. Now, this is kind of a shocker. Again, if your children have never done anything wrong and they don't need any correction and certainly would never need Jesus' forgiveness because they're just little angels already in heaven, then this doesn't apply to you. But if you're willing to hear God's word, okay, here's the reality. You are raising sinners. I, I know I'm not supposed to. You are the father of sinners who need to be taught about the fact, the reality, they can fail. In the modern and postmodern American era, we've been told that our children can never fail and should never fail, and our job as parents is to protect them from any failure or problems or bumps or bruises. That is incorrect, and that's not biblical. That is not biblical. Uh, we have an endemic, just a, a, an endemic of generations from millennials down, the statistics are through the roof, who have huge rates of anxiety and fear of failure and fear of missing out and everything else. And it leads to all kinds of just through the roof statistics on depression now, anxiety and depression. Why is that? Well, one of the reasons is the children think they're supposed to, and then adults think they're supposed to never fail. They're supposed to be in total control. That is anti-truth and that's also anti-gospel. Because nobody's gonna come to Jesus if they never failed or should never fail, and they can control everything. So just take the fruit and decide for yourself what is good and evil. Just reimagine yourself as you self-fulfill. That's not the gospel. And frankly, that's a child who is headed for a society that is headed for hell, which is, frankly, what we see before us unfold in the 21st century. Christian dads, you are not to lead your child along with the crowd here. Let your kids fail and learn the consequences of failure. I'm not talking about, you know, life and death situations, but um, just accessing a woman named Karen Gordon, who has a master's of divinity and also a PhD in psychology, a big uh, coach for C-suite people, you know, Wall Street Journal best-selling author um, who, who began her work as a psychiatrist working with teens who struggle with anxiety and fear of failure issues. Now she works with C-suite people, CEOs of multi-million and billion dollar corporations who have anxiety issues and are afraid of failure. She says it's kind of all the same. And one of her great stories is about how her dad, when she was diagnosed with learning disabilities, she was really bright, okay? But she was, a, uh, uh, she was not an auditory learner. And she was diagnosed with this, and her dad said, you need to go to the school where they have help that can give you help with this. You know, you're tactile kinesthetic. You can get help with this. And she was 13 years old, and she was bullheaded, and she said, I'm not going to ask for help. And so her dad said, okay, it's your school. It's your results. You deal with it. Her dad was a pastor. He understood about the gospel, and he understood about parenting. So she then goes... And, and by the time she hits ninth grade, she's failing out. And she freaked out and she said she learned one of the most important lessons of her life that she's still teaching like middle-aged CEOs. You need to sometimes raise your hand and say, I need help. <laughs> she said she learned from this that number one, it's always good to ask for help and to admit our own failures, okay? That's a gospel lesson. And number two, that no failure is gonna kill her. You know, short again of a life-threatening kind of situation. 
And therefore, she's now, you know, best-selling author. She advises folks. She's on the TV all the time. This is a person from a Christian background. Now, by the way, um, just came out Tony Fidel's book, Build, an Orthodox Guide to Making Things Worth Making. I look forward to reading the book. Have not read it yet. It just came out. Um, Tony Fidel is the author of more than 300 patents, including he invented the iPod and then the iPhone. Some of y'all have heard of the iPod and the iPhone. This is the guy who invented these things as well as a number of other things, um, you know, working for Apple. And he's got a book out about his process of invention. And of course, the typical, you know, stereotypical bogus idea is that, well, just the bright guy comes up with an idea and, you know, then makes a billion dollars and everything goes smoothly. So Fidel's book is about all the failures that he went through to get to the ones that worked, right? And the ones that sold. And uh, Stephen Sanofsky, the former president of Windows at Microsoft, he just reviewed this book in the Wall Street Journal, and here's his one-line summary. Failure is the mother of invention. Failure is the mother of invention. And then he talks about all the, the stories of Fidel going through all the failures to lead to the successes. So parents, dads, let your children fail and learn from it. And at a spiritual level, let them understand that they fail spiritually and are in desperate need of a savior, Jesus Christ. Um, fourth, the father's discipline and discipleship are gospel gifts of his grace. I, I've already been through this, already talked about the field. C.S. Lewis in his book on the problem of pain says the same kind of thing. The artist, if he's just got a little sketch that he sketches for two minutes, he doesn't care about it. But his work of art, his magnum opus, He'll go back and scrape and redo the paint. And Lewis says, if the painting were sentient, the painting would be saying, I don't like this. Hold this work on me. This is painful. And it's because the artist loves his masterpiece, just like God loves you. If you love your child, lead, correct, redirect, work as with a masterpiece. And so finally, fifth, understanding that these are gifts of grace, we come to the table of Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus says, and we read this from Revelation, that those he loves, he reproves and discipline. He reproves us and disciplines us, right? What did Jesus do before he served the supper? Do y'all remember John chapter 13? He took off his outer garment, stripped himself, wrapped a towel around his waist, and he washed his disciples' feet. And what was he doing when he did this? Well, among other things, he was training them. You may remember Simon Peter protested. No, 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 you're never gonna wash my feet. And Jesus says, if you don't let me wash your feet, you have no part of me. Then, of course, Simon Peter, typically the exaggerator says, well, then all of me. Jesus says, no, 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 you don't need the whole part of you. You've been sanctified in me, but you need to let me wash your feet. It's training training us, training Simon Peter, what it means to be a spiritual father, to serve, to surrender to the Lord, and in humility, but in strong leadership, to guide and direct. Let us believe in that Jesus, the Lord of our souls, and lead our children to believe in that Jesus, and come to his table 
as his family today. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen.